Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. I'm really excited about this episode in particular. I'm here with Brianna Battles, who is a woman's strength coach, and we're going to get into her unique background here in a moment. But one of the reasons that I was really excited to, to get on an episode or get Brianna on an episode is when you just do a basic search and you talk about somebody that understands how a true professional should approach branding, um, their image, the message that they send, the example that they set, she has by far been an individual that I have been the most impressed with. I think that strength and conditioning is a very unique field that is still trying to find its way in terms of branding. I don't think we always come across as the most professional. I think oftentimes we come off as extreme. So when I heard about Brianna, uh, specifically from one of our listeners, and I checked out her resources, I was astonished, very impressed. I think that she was a, or she is a gleaming example that everybody should learn from. I'm even making some changes on my own kind of online presence, specifically a website um, because of some of the things she did so well. And just being somebody that, that talks in a fairly straightforward manner, kind of cuts through the crap. I appreciate always meeting somebody else that does the same thing. So I want to welcome you on the show, Brianna. And uh, I definitely meant everything I said there. Well, thank you so much. I feel like so many of us get into this profession and and don't really understand the online business side of it. And I'm absolutely one of them. So to hear that you think that like the online presence is uh, on point is a great compliment because I definitely don't feel like that is my strong point. It's it's sort of a struggle to to find uh, I don't know to find a way of of showcasing like what we do and how we do it and the message and effort behind it. So it's a fine line to walk. But thank you for for appreciating it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And we'll get into your background in a moment, but just I want to tag onto that real quick. It is interesting because, you know, there's such a narrative of the importance of humility in our field, which of course is, is critical, but humility can be taken too far as well. Like, you know, I think we grew up in a world where nobody's certainly going to toot our own horn. And we're the type of people as strength coaches where it's very uncomfortable for us to do it as well. But then again, like for your work to have an impact, it has to have an audience. And so if you don't have that presence, if you don't, you know, if you don't manage the real estate on the digital side, which is something I just came to learn really two and a half years ago, um, shortly before my book came out, my book's been out 18 months, but I, I didn't have a mailing list or any kind of online presence when the book came out. And that was something that I had to learn in a hurry. Um, so how have you walked that fine line between, you know, remaining humble making sure to tell your story in an authentic way, but also getting across that you're not ashamed of the expertise that you've developed and thinking and, and wanting people to understand you're a trustworthy resource. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, I like, so what, what were, what were some tips or what were some things oh. that you've learned over that time frame? Oh, um, well, I guess just finding authenticity. I think like that word is thrown around a lot and, yeah. um, especially online and Instagram, social media, um, 
But I think like sharing your story and like why it connects, why the message and effort that you're after as a coach connects to what you're trying to achieve as an individual and, and like a continual path of like self-development and just kind of sharing. I think it makes it so much easier to find your own branding and, um, and instead of like having to create it, you just sort of um, capitalize on like what you're already doing and who you already are and what you already care about. And then the stuff that you're trying to pursue more so that it, it is, it speaks to your character just as much as it speaks to your brand. And so um I mean, it requires some backstory, but like my brand was built upon my own experiences as a female athlete and then as a mom and then as a coach and like the intertwining of all of those things. And um, it's just become pretty easy for me to connect what I do in business to who I actually am everywhere. <laughs> no, I mean, it's well said. It's easier to practice. It's easier to practice what you preach when you actually preach what you practice, you right? When you're yeah. not Exactly. Um, I think that's a perfect segue for you to go into your backstory a bit, if you don't mind, because you have a truly, truly, I mean, I think everybody says this on podcasts and, and I don't want it to become cliche, but you really do have a truly unique backstory. So would you mind sharing that a bit? Sure. Um, my background is in like exercise science. My master's is in coaching. And when I first got out of college, I was um, working in corporate wellness. That's the path I thought I would go down. Um, and then also started working in collegiate athletics as a sport coach. And I did that for quite a while. I also, you know, dabbled in like some personal training here and there, but I was always still very involved like in the NFCA and the strength and conditioning field and knowing like that's where my interest was. It's just was sort of like a complimentary, uh, like passion on the side. Um, but working in those environments really kind of exposed me to such a variety of people, everything from like high level collegiate athletes to your everyday um, person who's working a nine to five and, and wanting to find like a, a balance to being exposed to strength and conditioning um, and whatnot. So it's in a way that like was more tailored to that, to their interests and population. So um, I did that for quite a while. And then when I um, got pregnant with my son, which was almost six years ago, um, you know, as a female athlete and I was one my whole life I've always kind of identified as that I I trained through my pregnancy in a way that I thought was um you know complementary of what I do of what I know um what I had been what I had a lot of experience doing and I didn't really know the considerations um that that needed to be made in order to um navigate that pregnancy well and then have it translate into like long-term health and fitness and performance and so it was through like a series of events after having um, my son that I realized there was such a huge gap in people who knew how to work with not just pre and postnatal fitness, because that just did not seem appealing to me at all coming from, again, like an athletic strength conditioning background, pre and postnatal was like basically like a buzzkill and it did not resonate with me at all. Um, but I saw that there was like, you know, why didn't anyone tell me this? Why didn't I know that? Um, and, but it really took like experiencing myself to see that, that need. And so I had resigned from my college coaching job and my corporate wellness job and decided to be a stay at home mom for two weeks. And before I was like this, I can't do this anymore. And my son was about a year old at that point. And I was, I was my saying, what was that like what, going from your daily routine to being a stay at home mom? You know, what, how, what were, what was some of the internal thoughts and dialogue you had going on in your head? Like, what were you saying to yourself? Well, <laughs> At that point, I just I felt done working in collegiate athletics, especially 
um, in the environment that there was some leadership changes at the university that I was at and I didn't really feel supported. And so for me, I felt like a lot of peace walking away when I did. And I, I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, like, I'm good. I, I feel like I've had the impact I needed to have there. And um, so I was able to you know, work with so many different young athletes. And it just it felt really rewarding to walk away when I did, because I knew that in order for me to find fulfillment in a job like coaching, which is like nothing but heart <laughs> and like continual yeah. effort, I needed to be in an environment where I felt truly supported. And with the changes that happened there, I just didn't feel that anymore. So I felt really good walking away, even though it was hard. I absolutely knew it was the right decision. But to be a stay-at-home mom was also not really something that I had, you know, like before I had kids, I thought maybe that's what I wanted to do. But um, it, I just was lonely and I was kind of battling some undiagnosed like postpartum depression and anxiety and was just trying to do whatever I could to like cope and manage. And, um, you know, I knew after those couple weeks that like I, I had to have something, I had to have something to do that was still me. That was still, um, you know, connected to the stuff that I cared about intellectually, but also emotionally. And so I started a women's strength and conditioning class locally. And I like begged my neighbor and one of my former teammates who lived locally to come and just, like help me start a class, make it look like I have something going on. So it's not just me at the gym. <laughs> and like, I begged the gym owner, I was like, look, I don't have money. Like, but can you just give me an, like a couple hours a week to use the gym and see if it turns into something? If it, if it hits, then great. Like we'll work out something, but like, please. <laughs> and, um, and he let me use the space and, and it really kind of, it, it was, gosh, what was that? Like about four years ago, um, this month actually, um, is when I started that. And Congratulations. Thanks. And, you know, it just, it turned into something that I didn't really, I could have never planned, but, you know, more people, like more women in my community started coming and it was nice because they could bring their kid and just sort of set the baby on the side and like a little play mat area thing um, where they didn't have to choose between childcare and, and doing something for themselves because moms will just forever kind of um, have a hard time doing something for them, especially when it comes to like having to arrange other other things for their kids. So I wanted to make an environment where, you know, it wasn't like the mommy class. It was like a true like a strength training program and something they could come to consistently and was fairly kid friendly. So I did that. And I was sharing on social media, like kind of my recovery from having Cade and um, then starting this business and all of it just sort of evolved into people asking a lot of questions and a lot of questions that like I I knew I needed to answer more effectively than writing the same email like over and over and over. Um, so I had done a lot of research. I had pursued a lot of different continuing education with women's health professionals in order to really understand like what does our body go through during pregnancy? How do our athletic um, like choices and interests and training styles, um, our tendencies or habits, how do all of these things contribute to like um, the anatomy and physiology of a woman in a way that like my textbooks never talked about. None of my certifications ever talked about women's health considerations, nevertheless, like pregnancy and postpartum considerations, because now we're seeing so many um, female athletes pursue higher levels of fitness after having, it's like our careers are not ending after having babies. And so yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, there was a certain time frame, you know, even just a little bit beyond a decade ago, where if an athlete tore their ACL, that was not, they were never going to be the same. 
right? right. Like their their career was almost over. Now that's fairly, it's still unfortunate, but it's kind of quotidian, right? Like ACLs right. happen. We hope they don't, but they do. And people still come back and, and achieve tremendous things. And so it's kind of along those same lines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I don't, I don't know, like my mom wasn't doing like CrossFit or like powerlifting when she was pregnant with me, you right. know, and it, like, and she didn't start doing anything really until my sister and I went to college. So we've seen this huge uptake in athletes that are like, you know, they've maybe they're no longer college athletes, but then they, they start finding different athletic things to, to like delve into after college. Maybe it's CrossFit, maybe it's triathlons, maybe it's jujitsu, like whatever it might be, powerlifting, or they're just like wanting to have like a good like lifting routine. Um, well, then these women end up getting pregnant and then they're told, do what you've always done. Just listen to your body. And that is irrelevant information for any athlete. Most athletes don't really know how to listen to their body because they're, they've been trained to actually ignore a lot of the cues and you can't do that during pregnancy. And that's kind of right. what backfired in my story and my body um, and showed me like, well, God, if I didn't know all of these considerations, then I know that, you know, my peers coaches and athletes also don't know. So um, that's when I did some mentorships with some um, pelvic floor physical therapists. I did some mentorships. That's what I was going to ask. How did you find, who was your mentor and how did you go about finding them? Yeah. um, Well, you know, social media is pretty great like that, right? Um, I was connected to, fortunately, a lot of good coaches um, and I was able to just sort of see like that the path to, to kind of connecting the dots between women's health and strength and conditioning was was learning from people that maybe weren't in the strength and conditioning industry, but were in the women's health field. So I just started reaching out, like Anthony Lowe, who's a physiotherapist in Australia, Julie Weave, who's a um, physical therapist in Los Angeles, um, Angela Spruill, who's like in my community. And I was just able to kind of take pieces from everything that they um, taught me and connect it back to the fundamentals of strength and conditioning and progressive overload and like how to adapt training not just exercises because everyone knows how to modify, but nobody knows how to like modify the how and the strategy behind how we're training during pregnancy and when to dial back, maybe not just the exercise, but the volume of it um, and like load considerations. And all these athletes think that they are kind of, and I say this like as, as this person too. So I'm not like really trying to point fingers here, but like almost like this exemption from typical, (laughs) like um, typical guidelines and considerations. And but we're not like we're female athletes. If we want to keep pursuing like not even high levels of performance, but just like we see moms going to like the mommy boot camps and to, you know, soul cycle and whatever kind of classes their body. Right. I, I want what I want for more women is for their body to support them before pregnancy, through pregnancy and then for the rest of their life um, and whatever kind of fitness they want to pursue. Um, but how they do that is really like, is really kind of what we're trying to get out there more because it, it just goes so far beyond um, exercise modifications. Well, and there's a lot to pick apart there. I mean, one, I mean, bringing back the real definition of fitness, which, you know, isn't, isn't what we see on Instagram with a lot of like goofy stuff, right? Like fitness is one's ability to be able to carry out a task, yeah. right? Like it's an organism's ability to carry out a task. And that term has been run through the muck so many different ways. It's an, and so what I admire about what you're doing is, because I, I'm a big believer in like fundamentals, not fluff, yeah. you know, like I deal with a predominant like athlete market and I have to, I have to compete with some guru down at the beach doing fast feet, right. you know, nonsensical drills, telling people that's making them faster. Right. Yet every day I turn on the NFL or every weekend I turn on the NFL, I don't see anybody tap dancing on a side, you know, on, <laughs> on 
before the ball is snapped, before exactly. they go out, right? Like, exactly. And so I think I'm loving what you're doing in, in terms of showing people how to modify, but also, like you said, why and, and giving them instruction and empowerment on how they can continue to do that down the road. Because it is alarming that whether it's business, whether it's branding, whether it's um, something like, you know, postpartum and, and all this stuff, like that stuff's not covered in, right. in, in like you said, our certifications, right. which is kind of odd because it's not unheard of. And I'm sure during your time as a sport coach in the collegiate environment, did you ever have athletes that were pregnant or young mothers or anything? Yeah, you know, and we're seeing that more and more, but we don't have coaches that know how to work with these athletes. They're given like a red shirt year and then told, well, well, good luck. And unless you have a university that's like really willing to support this athlete through that process, like their return to play is, is like their chances of return to play are not that great unless they have a lot of really key support in place. And so it's, it's kind of like that's a whole other market, <laughs> like a whole other. Um, but an, impo- an important one. I mean, I'm critical. Oh, I'm, I, sometimes I'm critical of our governing bodies. I mean, listen, they they can't do everything. I understand that. But like governing bodies and strength and conditioning are big enough now and have enough money that, you know, at, at, at conferences, at these national events that they have multiple times a year, you wouldn't think it would be too hard to have information on that as opposed to. Yeah five different talks about how to squat or, you know, somebody get up there and tell us for the 50th time why they perform the hang clean. Right. You know, if, if, if you need a lecture, at, if you're a certified strength and conditioning coach and you need a lecture on why we hang clean, like you shouldn't have passed the test and got your cert. Totally. You know, and, you know like, and in some ways I've been able to kind of get that message out there into um, different strength and conditioning organizations and like a male dominated field and get them caring about female athletes. Cause it's not just pre and postnatal. It's really like women have different, like different physiological considerations. And so it's not uncommon to, to know that like our basketball players are doing box jumps and they're peeing when they're doing them. And that's in a, a collegiate right. level. Like that's not super unheard of. Our gymnasts are no. peeing when they're like doing the vault or whatever. Like this, so this isn't just like a pre and postnatal conversation. And so that's why I try to like identify more as like a women's strength conditioning coach so that it, it extends this need for adjusting some of our training strategies beyond just pregnant and postpartum athletes, but really to like meet a spectrum of, you know, when, especially when you're working with athletes where high pressure, high tension, um, just a lot of, we're so good at compensating. And when our system is compromised by a baby or by recovering from a baby, we need to know how to make some of those adjustments so that we're setting this woman up for like long-term health and fitness. And so that she's not having to manage symptoms for the rest of her life. So you know, coaches are the first line of defense when it comes to working with this population and can either be great, re- like, um, sources of referrals or at least not make the athletes, like, worse. Like, don't aggravate this symptom. We wouldn't do that with, um, you know, an ACL injury so or something that we maybe suspected that there was a knee injury in place. It's the same thing for working with female athletes. Yeah, no, I agree. And I want to touch on something that you had mentioned there briefly, like, not only are these topics, I think, issued for other things that we really should be doing our own due diligence on as professionals, but, you know, what do you think, what are your thoughts about the gender gap as it pertains to just even strength, female strength coaches in the field in general? I know bringing that up is sometimes hard because there are some coaches, one of them's a dear friend of mine that's like, she gets pissed anytime somebody's like, you know, mentions her as a woman's strength coach. She's like, I'm a strength coach. And I'm like, listen, like, they're not singling you out. Like, there's a demographic right now that feels underserved, like women's strength coaches. And they are, they're underserved. They're underrepresented. I go, you should own that. Like you should own the fact that like, 
you know, people want to hear your opinion on that because they may think that you have a solution. And I get it. Like nobody wants to be singled out in a different kind of way. But I I think there's something to be said about being a leader and being a champion for women's strength coaches in a male dominated field. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I appreciate that we can have like recognition and a skill set and a way of communicating that might be a little bit different. And there's, we can all kind of work together and complement the material and the education um, expertise. But I, I do think that um, it's been, you know, notoriously it still is like a male dominated field. And when I first went to my first like strength conditioning conference out of college, so that was like, uh, like 2008, um, like I was one of the very few women at this conference. And I was like, Oh, this is like, it was just so eye opening as like a 22 year old, like kid basically going there and you're like, Oh, wow. I, I didn't really know the extent to which I was kind of a rare, <laughs> like a rare person there. Um, especially as like a young coach or somebody just trying to get into the field. And so, um, but fortunately, like I've had a lot of great like just a lot of great mentors who are significantly older than me that could be like my dad's age who have just who like really took me under their wing at a young age and just said like you are the future of where the strength conditioning um, industry needs to go and like they just kind of poured into me and gave me a lot of confidence so I never felt like you know it was like this uphill battle so much as it was just like do good work keep doing good work keep showing up keep learning like this is we're not at the end of the road ever. So um, I think I've just been really fortunate to have good coaches and mentors in my life who, who kind of um, who didn't make me doubt my place in this like bubble. <laughs> so yeah, speak. no, I think, and I think that's a good friend of mine and tremendous strength coach that happens to be a woman is Jennifer Noyles. And I had asked her one time, you know, just in casual conversation, like, you know, what, what advice would you give like female strength coaches? And she's like, a lot of them just have a chip on their shoulder and they kind of just got to drop that and not worry about being somebody else. You know, they just got to kind of own who they are. And, and I've noticed that too. I think some feel like because it's a dominant, you know, male dominated profession that they've got to coach with some kind of extra edge. And I, I usually advise, I've had plenty of really talented strength coaches work, work with me as interns and what have you that, uh, we're females. And I was just like, just do you, you know, these guys are going to respect you. Like if you do, like you said, do your job, do X, Y, and Z, you know, like one thing on this podcast that we try to do though, because I, I don't know if it's always done on other podcasts to the same degree. And that's, that's nothing against them. It's just different podcasts, different shows, different purposes. But one thing that people have given us feedback on is like tactical examples of what to do can be really helpful. So when you say you found great mentors or, um, you know, even, even any mistakes, like what is something that if, if there's a young woman strength coach listening right now and she just feels like out on an island, she's, she's tried reaching out to people to mentor and maybe they don't get back to her. She's kind of stuck, you know, and, and what, what advice would you give them how to find that mentor? At least how to identify somebody that could be a mentor, something yeah. that might seem basic to you, but could be game changing for them. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's hard. Like, and it's, you feel like awkward and like, you don't want to help me, but I'd find somebody you admire or who, somebody who, whose work you admire, somebody whose message you admire and reach out to them, whether it's on social media or via email. If there's somebody that you can um, just ask, like, can I shadow you? Can I just see like how you run your program or how you coach your client or um, like, where did you learn X, Y, or Z? I think coaches want to coach in a lot of different ways. We are like born to be 
helpers and connectors and things like that. Like we don't enter this profession and kind of like have middle fingers up of wanting to like help fulfill that, um, you know, like coaching, I guess, in a wider spectrum. So I think it's just taking that initiative and and asking like, how how can I help you? And can I learn from you? I want to learn what steps did you take? And I'm seeing like where, like what's missing in your own practice. If you feel like you need to learn more about, you know, coaching in a sport environment, well then like reach out to that. If you feel like you want to learn more about like personal training and like how to, how to adjust those training considerations. Great. If you want to learn how to work with female athletes, work with like ask the mentor under somebody who works with female athletes and then have respect for their time have respect for um, which is huge oh, say yeah. that one again because no, that's I, one that i don't have time but if somebody reaches out to me i'm going to say here's the resources that i like really like if you do nothing else start here and this is going to get you like headed in the right direction you know and i because that's something that i still see and i don't mean to cut you off i want yeah, you to finish that thought but like i have to emphasize this like I can't emphasize enough how many people they, they, they check the box of reaching out on social media, but they don't do their due diligence first. Like people like you and so many other people in our field have a ton of resources out there that are free. I mean, even when you and I were getting to know each other, the first thing I did before I was going to waste any of your time, like getting you on an intro phone call is like, let's look her up, you know? And, uh, I, I know sometimes like I've been guilty of getting super frustrated with people where they're like, Hey, it happened the other day. Somebody goes, Hey, can we jump on a call for 15 minutes? And all I said back is like, listen, absolutely. But like, just so we have a foundation of like understanding and can have a good conversation. Like, are you familiar with any of my work? Right. You know? And that was me asking like, what have you, what have you read or like, where are you at? So I know what, what we're going to dive into. Right. right. And I was like, have you happened to a chance to read my book or any of the free kind of eBooks or articles I write or anything? And he's like, uh, the individual goes, no, I'm currently reading this book. But if reading all of your work is a prerequisite to even getting 15 minutes of your time, I guess I'll get around that to my, in my, uh, I'll, I'll get around it when I can. Good day. And I was just yeah. like, whoa, like, dude, like, <laughs> no. And I remember responding back and I try to do it politely because I'm, I, you know, I can be aggressive. Like, right. I think we all have that. And I was just like, listen, like, it's not a prerequisite, but like, just like you're reading the autobiography of this individual you just told me about so that you can get a better understanding of right. them, their work. And their, all I'm asking you is to do the same, man. Like we're not going to have a good discussion if because people think, oh, you, I'm going to get Brianna on the phone and I don't have to worry about doing any due diligence because in 15 minutes, she can tell me all that and save me the time. Right. And there's no shortcuts are kind of like a sugar rush, right? Like people, they make people feel good, the idea of them. And then when they consume that or go that route, there's just a crash because they realize like that wasn't fulfilling. Right. And so I, I listen to what she said. If you guys are listening to this, like do not reach out to people unless you've done some due diligence, like just respect yourself and their time, but like respect yourself because it really makes you look unprofessional. It makes you look unprofessional. It's not that somebody's trying to make you fit into their business model. It's not that anything like that. And, and if it is like, okay, well, business models are created sometimes. We have this idea that if somebody's trying to sell something, that that's a bad thing. Right. You know, like it, people create businesses for the purpose of helping, like hotels were created so people had places to stay, not so they could just rip you off of your money right. to give you a bed. Right. Um, so that's just, sorry, I had to go yeah, on that no, rant because that's something though, I've been thinking about. And if we don't have, have boundaries around our time and what we've put into like learning you know, I, I had somebody, I'm sure we've, we've all been there, like, you're too expensive, or this thing's too expensive. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, probably 100 grand worth of like education in that two hour yeah. course for you. But tell me it's expensive one more time. You know what I mean? Like, 
it's, right. it's, uh, it's really hard to like not get defensive, but I think we have to have our own boundaries around what we say yes to um, and like what the prerequisites are before we delve into any kind of like mentorship opportunity or, you know, like it's one thing to reach out, but it's another thing to, um, to want to, if you really are, admire somebody, then you support their work. And sometimes that means like buying their product. That means um, being respectful to them. That means sharing their stuff. That means if you care and you admire it, then you help grow that too. And all of that, and that like, comes into... back. It's it just it's all it all comes back. It's just a matter of like, you know, we, I don't know. It's it's just putting it out there and then like walking your talk. And it's yeah, it's expecting like you, the the accountability is on the person wanting to learn or wanting to find the mentor. I mean. But here's the other thing. I think it benefits people to learn a little bit more. And I learned this late. Again, it was in just the past two years, really. Take some time to really learn what making these resources takes financially. Uh, I had no idea that there are online courses out there that just to make cost anything from ten to $70,000. And not only that, like you're talking about like going out and videotaping. You're talking about um, I'm pretty transparent about this, not not as a woe me thing, but like just so people know, you know, when I wrote my book, like that was a twenty to twenty five thousand dollar investment from somebody that I had not made more than like fifty thousand dollars as a salary at any point in my career at that point in time, and I was only making money really for four years, yeah. you know. And when I learned that, oh my god, like an editor and a graphic designer and all this stuff, and so. Yeah. It's, it's just giving people the insight that when you reach out to somebody and you're like, Hey, you know, Brianna or Eric or Mike or anybody, can I have this for free or can I have a discount? You're usually asking for a discount on something that costs that individual tens of thousands of dollars to make and numerous hours of their time. I know Brianna, you're married with two kids, yeah. right? Right. Like that takes, that's, I'm paying for child. You just got to understand. You know, like yeah, if you, you need me on the you, phone, not you, like I'm, but like, you know, people yeah, yeah. Like you need me on the phone or they want to interview me or they want to do this stuff. Like just know, like, okay, if I commit to that time, then I'm also paying for my babies to be taken care of during that time too. So they don't sabotage everything that I do. <laughs> and your website hosting. Oh, and, and, and this is just, this is education for anybody out there. Like, you know, I, I, I have a LLC and it's $300 a month to pay my accountant to do you know what I mean? And that's that's stuff that I don't think people understand in our field because there's not a lot of entrepreneurs in our field. A lot of them are, you know, it's, it's salaried. And, and that's, again, why I'm saying it, because I was that guy. I know, know all my jobs were salary, salary, salary. That when I went on my own just two years ago, I was like, oh, I've got to get an LLC. Well, I can't do bookkeeping. What is that called? $300 a month to do bookkeeping? Oh and that's just like if my athletes come train with me, you know? And and so I, I just think that's a critical point to bring up because if, if people have that information, I think hopefully it will make them respect all that goes into people like what you are doing and that much more. You're, you're, it's investing in yourself and other people, but you've got to know what, what goes into those things. And, and any of you listening out there, if you think that you can do it better, cheaper, by all means, like it's go do it. You know what I mean? Don't, don't come, like if you if you want to complain that somebody can't give you a free book or a free course or what have you go build one of your own yeah. you know and that's that's how great companies have gotten started some people have been able to disrupt and some people do it and then they realize oh yeah i can't do that and that that kind of brings me to my next question for you because you talked about like how you know the process of you going from hands on hands on hands on to now the realization of like oh if you, you want to reach more people to a degree, like you've got to get off the floor, right? Mm -hmm. It's no longer this badge of honor to say that like you're coaching 24 seven or you're hashtag grinding. Like no. 
what has that process been like for you to realize that you you want to reach a broader audience? Like, can you walk us through that and kind of the internal dialogue yeah. and, and steps you've taken? Yeah, I, I um, for me, it was, it really, I was all about the grind. And then I had my son who has humbled me from the moment I went into labor with him. Like, and he still, he kicks my ass every day. He has five and he kicks my ass every day. But because of that, like he, his, his like, <laughs> His presence alone has demanded that I better figure out a way to to create a life and a career and a passion that fulfills me, but also fulfills the kind of like motherhood I want to pursue, where I can be with him and raise him, but I can also like I'm not saying no to the things that I am still really passionate about, that I still really care about, that I can yeah. be entrepreneurial and I can be independent and I can travel and I can do things that are important to me and I can also go to swim lessons on a Tuesday and I can also coach his soccer game or whatever. Like I want to be able to do both. And so I guess that has been a huge driving force because I never really intended on starting a business, but like life just, it just sort of kicked my ass in the direction I didn't realize it needed to go. And because, and because that happened, it was like, well, if I'm going to do this, then I better figure out a way to do it in a way where I am not, maybe not, not a traditional business where I can still be really involved as a mom, but also kind of, yeah, try to, try to do both. And there's no balancing. It's, it's just a continual juggling act. But, um, that was, that was a huge incentive to be able to create some resources that would have a greater reach, um, and just, and just knock it out, put more things online because that's what people want easy access. And they, they want to be able to get as much information in one place as possible. And I knew that I needed to like be really efficient with my time and, and like being a mom certainly uh, lights a fire for the need for efficiency. And so, and and I'm good at that. I can do that. If you've ever like hustled and you've ever, you know, all I think anyone who has like that kind of athletic or coaching background, it like knows like that's a huge part of, of being in this field is you got to be efficient you got to hustle and you got to get stuff done. Um, and so I, I started creating some online resources and, and that helped a lot because then I knew when people, and it also helped me with boundaries because I knew like, well, if people kept emailing me the same kind of questions, all of these answers are in this online course. And if you, you pay for that, then you still have questions and let's get on the phone, but like, at least start there. I like, I need to know that you at least know this and then you respect my time and the money that I've put into this, um, you know, it's kind of circling back to what we just talked about, but like, no, but yeah, unfortunately the vast majority don't, yeah. you know, they'll, you'll say, Hey, here's the course. Like, you know, let me know if you have any questions. And they're like, Oh, and then they never look right. at it again because they're pissed because they just wanted you to tell them right. Right. Then. And I still don't get me wrong. I still get that like literally every day, but you know, at this sure. point it's like, well then if you aren't willing to respect what I can teach you, then, then you're not somebody that like, I'd rather focus my time and energy on the athletes that I am coaching, the people that do support my effort and my heart and my business, because I pour freaking everything into it. Those are the people that I want to, you know, that I really want to like invest in, invest my time and energy and resources into. So, and then have them continually evolve. Like I'm, I'm constantly kind of adding more information. Like I'm redoing my coach course right now so that I can launch it in 2019. And like, it's, it's updated information, updated evidence, updating coaching practices. And that feels good to me, but that has come at the, the cost of like wanting to continually up level because of the people that have invested in me who are buying into this, who see the need. And so, you know, if, 
I guess it's having those boundaries and then knowing like that we need to constantly evolve and do it in a way where it complements the life that we want to lead. Like the, the closer we can find that, um, I think the better off we are as far as like sustainability in our careers and our like just our energy in general. So good point there, because one thing I was going to talk about is I, I loved when you told me you, that you first, when you first went out on your own, you invited friends over to make it look like you were busier than you were. And that kind of feeds into this role that perception plays and like the credibility of a coach, right? Going back to that whole grinding mentality. I think we've all, I know I've been there for sure. Like you just think that like, oh my gosh, if I'm not coaching 24 seven, at least when I went out independent, you know, and I was like, man, there are times of the year when I'm speaking and there's times where I'm coaching, but what if I'm not coaching all the time? Are people going to not think that I'm, and it just like, I was like, what am I like, what am I worried about? Like did, was, was Steve Jobs like making computers all the time? Like, was that guy just like, you know, when he, when he, when is Jeff Bezos, the one like, you know, in, in the nitty gritty with Amazon all the time, like there comes a time when you realize, and this was a huge thing for me. So if anybody listens to one thing I say here, say this, when you want to grow professionally, it is not just about what skills you can acquire. It's about what tasks you can start to shed a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not insinuating that people ever quit coaching. Like I'll never, if I was a billionaire, I would never quit coaching. Like I'm always going to coach, but there are times of the year where, you know, you can come shadow me and I'm going to coach a lot. And then there are times of year where I might be doing more speaking, traveling. And here's the thing. They're both coaching, right? right? Whether I'm teaching somebody how to clean squat, do a warm up, go through agility or what have you, or whether I'm interacting with other coaches, walking them through those things or Brianna is that's coaching. Coaching is teaching. It's educating. Right. And so Um, you know, we get caught wearing these masks to cover up kind of our insecurities of not, you know, being, oh, are are people going to perceive X, Y, and Z, but listen to what you've done. Like you've navigated some of these inherent challenges of, of trying to manage the demands of being a, a, a coach, a wife, an entrepreneur, you know, have there been, because you've been, and, and I know you won't admit to being successful at it because we're humble, but what habits or systems have at least helped you do that? So if there are people listening, they're like, Man, I love how she's talking about sustainability. I love how she's talking about being able to have a family. Maybe true balance doesn't exist, but she's got some systems in place that help her enjoy aspects of it. Are there things that you've kind of either shed or put in place? What's helped you along the way? Oh, boy. Does that make sense or is that a bad question? So initially, I was not caught up in what other people thought. I was so like, I was so fired up behind a wanting to create a resource for my community alone and like doing something and it was selfish. Like I was so depressed and lonely and felt like I was having this identity crisis as a mom instead of a coach, instead of an athlete. And I was like, what is this? Like, I just needed, I needed friends. And so I went into it initially pretty selfishly. Like I, I could just coach a couple days a week. That would help me find my group. That would help me like feel like I'm doing something. And if I made like 300 bucks yeah, a month and like, hell yeah, like I'm good with that. It's fine. I'll make 300 bucks a month and I am totally good with that. And so I guess I went into it with like such freaking low expectations, which this is probably not great advice, but it was accidental. Um, that like everything just, it felt as it evolved, it was, it was just exciting and it was affirming to like, okay, this is a thing. Okay. I need to pursue this thing. Okay. This is a lot bigger than I was planning, but my God, I, I better do this because if I don't do it, I'm going to, I'm going to kick myself for not. And I care enough about it where like, it didn't feel like a job. And I know a lot of us say that, but like when you're, when you're grinding, that no, grinding is not enjoyable, but like when you can find something that like you're really fired up about that you care a lot about when you're having like high impact, 
you that's not something you can like turn your turn your back to. So um, as far as like habits, you know, initially it was just coaching in two to three days a week in person and literally only an hour. So I keep my like and to this day, I'm still doing that where like my actual in person coaching is pretty limited because I I'm also like trying to run an online business and also like be the primary caretaker for my kids right now. So they're both. Oh my gosh. But if you don't coach, if you don't coach every minute, hands on, you're not a real coach. Yeah. You know, and I would tell people to come to one class and tell me that. Right. So like, you know, you don't, we don't need (laughs) to be like in, in the trenches all the time in order to be good. Like I can write and that makes me a better coach. I can get on, I can speak and I can travel and I can teach that way. And that makes me a better coach. And so my continuing experiences, dense and diverse experiences. Yes. And then like, and then just going to like continuing education seminars, like all of those things are continual investments in like what I am trying to do as a movement, as an all encompassing effort, but also like on the, in the one-on-one like consultations and sessions and classes that I coach it all like is transferable. And if I'm going out there and coaching other coaches, my game needs to be elevated. And so um, being able to, I guess, really, if I can, my, my, um, one of my methodologies in my coach course is like, if I can coach a really high level athlete, that needs to have a top down effect to all other athletes, whether that athlete is her, her goal is just to, to do her activities of daily living with like no symptoms. Great. I need to coach that person just as much as I can be at just as well as I can coach somebody who's trying to make a run for the Olympics. So I, if that is truly a methodology that I am preaching and, and really trying to keep my skill set uh, honed into, then, then I have to delegate things that I'm not good at. And that's been hard as, which is hard oh to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I hired like a, a virtual assistant and that was a game changer. And I did that only because I was like a week away from having my second baby and was like, uh, I, I should probably have some help in place here because I, which by the way is freaky. I mean, I'll, I'll be, <laughs> I, I tried last year, I tried hiring an assistant and that freaked me out one because financially I don't have right. it like that, you know, but I knew I had to delegate some stuff and what it was costing me time wise to deal with some mm-hmm. things was more costly, right. Than, than me just paying a certain amount. And I had the individual, the individual stole from oh, me, God. you know what I mean? And th- yeah, like thankfully we had signed a non-disclosure agreement, which by the way, if you're a strength coach listening to this, like, that's very common in the business world. If somebody asks you to sign an NDA, that's basically you saying, hey, you're a trustworthy person that's not going to share the information that you know they're sharing with you and vice versa. Like any good NDA is uh, is a two-way street. But you know, I, I've worked with somebody in the past where I'd ask them, I said, hey, we're going to sign a mutual NDA here. And they lost it. Like they were like, you don't trust me. Did, okay. And I go, whoa, like this has nothing to do. This is just a handshake. It's we both are starting on, you know, we understand that like it's, it actually enables a higher level of trust. It's kind of like sports science when people said that um, monitoring, you know, catered to athletes that didn't want to work hard because they're like, oh, they're going to be able to like, you know, cheese out that day or not do effort. And then they're going to say that, you know, they were tired or not recovered. And it's like, mm, no, actually when monitoring is implemented well, it, it shows that we can actually push people harder. I look at the non-disclosure agreement the same way. And this took some education on my end. I didn't know anything about this at first. But then when I asked people outside of our field, which is a huge tip, by the way, talk to people outside of this field. Otherwise, our field is so great, amazing, special, intelligent, and unique in some ways. And so dreadfully behind the time. You're like so archaic. Like I have a VA and a a business strategist now and they laugh all the time because they're like, why is this? why is this weird for you? And I'm like, well, cause this isn't done in my field. And I'm like, well, it's done in every other no. field. And so, 
Yeah, I or like. Is if you're quote unquote big time, is what people always <laughs> yeah. say. It's no, it's not. I'm not big time. I'm just trying to get some help. I don't have twenty thousand interns helping me well, right now. And, you know, being able to delegate, like once I was able to like let go of other things, it opened my world to like, oh my gosh, you mean I can? I don't know how to make an ebook. I don't know how to grow an email list. I don't know anything about like marketing. No, that was not. That's never been anything that I'm good at. I know to coach. I want to coach. Help me do the other things though. Help me grow my coaching efforts. Yeah by doing the things that I don't know how to do, or at least teaching me how to do them. So I can, you know, like just try to, again, be efficient because if I don't invest in that side of my career, it takes away from the me side, which is trying to be a mom, which is also trying to still be an athlete and like train myself. Like I want to be able to spend my time doing things that I'm good at and that I enjoy. And, you know, there's some grinding there, but if it's something that like, I don't need to learn an entirely new task. Um, you know, like in a marketing realm, for example, when I have somebody I'm paying who can help me do that and they'll do it in like half the time and make it a hell of a lot better than what I could do. So, and that has actually like the return on investment there is, is affirming because I wouldn't be able to have an online business and online courses and, and do this without that kind of support because it's out of my wheelhouse. Like I, if I'm going to talk about um, being a coach that refers to other expert, like other experts, when I'm out of my scope of practice, I better take ownership for that in my own business as well. Yeah, no, that, that's spot on. And uh, it's I, I do need to make a clarification statement because no doubt there's going to be somebody listening to this and they're like, oh, Brett and Brianna are saying, you know, you don't have to be in the trenches all the time in this and that. Listen, like if you're just getting started in the field, yeah, your ass should be on the floor the majority of the time, right? Like. You should also be learning this stuff in your spare time, though. I'm not going to back down from that comment, nor should Brianna. Like, you need to learn more about business, finance, because one way or another, like, you're going to get fired or your life's going to change or you're going to have a significant other that you need to provide for. Or that's just a reality in this field. Like, so dig the well before you're thirsty. Otherwise. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't, like, just give up all the things and, like, go at it. Like, typically, anyway, you have to kind of pay your dues. And like earn that street cred and then be able to up level, you know, and maybe not all at once, maybe just like gradually. And, and yeah, cause you don't want to take risks that are going to backfire. Too yeah. Much. So on that point, building off that, what are some misconceptions uh, for, for somebody that does want to kind of create more of an autonomous future for themselves? Uh, what are misconceptions or boogeyman stories that you think are kind of out there about being an entrepreneur? Of course, there are a lot of, a lot of them that are real, but what are some things that you could do to kind of quell the fears or, or just kind of help them kind of be initiated to the realities of, of what that's, that life is like? Cause I think some people try to make, I know when I first told somebody I was going out on my own and this was an individual I worked for, they said, well, get ready. You're going to, you're going to, you're giving this up to live the fast life and you'll crash and burn. And I couldn't believe that I had heard that from somebody that I had respected for so long. Uh, and I still respect, I just, you know, when you leave something, emotions run high, you know, people tend to feel a certain way. Um, but w- what are some misconceptions that you think you could clear up or advice that you could give anybody looking to do that? Yeah, I think like there's obviously so much effort and you're like just you're so emotionally attached when you are an entrepreneur because it, it is your baby. Like I call like my business that started was like my second child before I had my actual second child because I threw everything into it, money, my heart, like my, my education, and then like trying to up-level my education just to like, just to reach people. And it wasn't, so it really wasn't even from a, a like, I guess it wasn't so much from my, I have to do this career. I, you know, there was no like have to, it was, I want this 
so bad. And I feel like everything in the universe is pushing me to keep pursuing this. And so um, I, I, I was in a, thankfully, I was in a really like privileged position where our like overhead did not depend on me, um, like being very successful, like out of the gates. My husband was like, well, you know, like <laughs> probably, you know, need to be, you can't just be like losing money. But um, I was able to, you know, I guess just be able to pursue something I really cared about and did it in a way where it wasn't taking too much of a hit. So it was like all of these little baby steps. And then when I made that $300 my first month coaching like friends, you know, then I like put that into an account so that the only, so that the way that I was able to build up any of my entrepreneurial efforts was by trying to just take from the money that I was earning solely from business alone and not just from our overhead. So I think that the, the financial part is, gets really scary for people. And this obviously looks different for so many different dynamics out there. Um, I don't own my own space, so I don't have that kind of overhead, but I, I really just try to keep my overhead low and my output high initially with what I was putting online, what I was um, trying to put out there in my community, showcasing what I was doing, um, and then just being really transparent with my own story, because that's what like really was resonating. Um, but, you know, I think... This moving on. No, you. I think you hit a huge I, one I there. That I'll actually like. I think this is the hallmark one, right? Not to put in any doubt in the, <laughs> the genius of what you were likely to say next, but the overhead thing. Let's talk about that for a moment because yeah. when I moved to Atlanta, originally I was going to open up my own place. I had I had some guys that that I had worked with from the NFL side of things for a while, and they were like, "Hey, you know, come out to Atlanta. You know, we." there's not a place out here that really just kind of does no nonsense kind of full spectrum training. They've all kind of turned into like, you know, combine facility. The way they described it was like, it's kind of like a conveyor belt, you know, these performance facilities that kind of chew you up, spit you out, chew you up, spit you out. So I remember I moved to Atlanta and I was like, I'm going to open a place. And at the time I had like three people that were interested. One guy was interested in being a GM. Another guy was interested in kind of being the lead coach because I was still going to coach and handle my groups. But there's times where I go speak, right? So I needed somebody that could hold down the floor when I was gone in China or whatever. So, you know, all of a sudden one guy bails, you know, health health issues in the family. He was from, you know, Australia. So like, God bless him, nothing he could do. He had to go take care of, of business there, right? Another guy, and I love him to death. So when he hears this, you know, like, but he got cold feet. He did. He got nervous. He's like, I don't know if this is my thing. Like originally he had done private sector, then he did NFL, and NFL wasn't for him. You know, he appreciated the opportunity, but he just said, you know, I feel like I'm kind of babysitting grown men sometimes. I got to chase them down to work out. Right. And he's like, you know, I'm in. But then he got freaked out um, and mainly got freaked out because we were close to signing the lease on a building. And this was like three months in the process. And a company came in and basically bid for five times what we were willing to pay, like a massive company. And mm -hmm. there was no way, like this was all self-funded, right? Like I was going to take out a home equity loan and stuff. And so right. I'm like, F that, those people can take that building. So that happened like three more times. And then eventually a, a guy that I'm now friends with, and he's going to be on a future episode, his name's Neil. He, he's like, Hey man, you know, I, I work at a huge high school in the area. And he's like, our stuff sits empty the vast majority of the time. And like, I'd love to have another coach chat with like, you can train your guys, you know, where we're at. And I thought about it. And I'm like, dude, like, I don't take, you know, I love you for reaching out. Like we don't know each other, but like, I can't do handouts. Like I have to give you something. And so I'm like, what do you need? And the guy's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, can I like donate to your school? So I found a way to like get in touch with guys at Intech who are a great company and, and some other folks. And I was like, Hey, like, can we work out you know, a deal? Like these guys need a lot of stuff. I want to pay for it. I want to donate 
because it was saving me a ton in overhead, right? Like people don't understand like a facility can cost you 30 to 40 to 50 grand, depending on space, just in overhead. And that's not even talking utilities or anything. Um, so I worked out a deal on, and, and I basically said, Hey, you know, if your kids want to hang out and watch the pro guys train, like I'm all for it. Like if you want one of the pro guys to talk to them, like it, from an inspirational standpoint, we'll do that. And then I, I worked at it. So we've, we've done that and I'm able to kind of work out of their space in Atlanta and it works great for both of us. And then I'll do privates, which is something I had never really done since I got into the field at 18. Um, at 18, I was a personal trainer, you know what I mean? But I hadn't done one-on-one -on -one a whole lot. And I started doing those at my house. So we fully out, outfitted my garage gym. Yeah. And I'm working like right now, I'm working with uh, a woman who's a pro soccer player, dual ankle reconstruction. But same, same thing, like it's an adaptable model. And I still get the question a lot as like, well, when do you get in a facility? When do you get in a facility? Because as a strength coach, I think people think like, oh, to be legit, I have to have a facility. But that's again, goes back to our business discussion where if you ask these people that have big facilities, like what it costs to run that, not what they make, because there's a lot of people that are very well established crushing it. And that's great. But just ask them what they're making, like what it costs to run the facility and, and expect a range. It's really none of your business for them to tell you directly. Um, right. But it's it's crazy. And so. Yes. And that's not a responsibility that I wanted, to be completely honest. I was like, I want. Yeah, I'm trying to have a family. I'm trying to have some freedom. And I don't want to be like run down with having to show up and be somewhere for set hours. And like, I was just, that just wasn't the direction that I felt called to at all. I was like, no, if I can work from home, if I can work during nap time, like I built all my courses during nap time for my kids. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's uh like, you have to know like what's going to be really realistic for you. Maybe you want to be, maybe you really want to be a facility owner. That's fine. But like, it's finding what you, what you actually think that you want and what's sustainable for your life and your family, if that's a consideration for you. And that's, what's going to help with the sustainability is like, is finding what you actually want to do. Um, and, and really talk to people that are doing it so that, you know, like, okay, is this, what am I really signing up for? Like, <laughs> you know, like, cause I, I never, I absolutely never thought this is the direction I would be in, but now that I'm in it, I'm like, well, this is, I would never, I will never work hopefully anyway, for anybody ever, like anyone else ever again. I like being in control of my freedom. I like being in control of what I say yes to and what I say no to now. But that was after paying a lot of a lot dues of, of saying yes to like everything for a long time. But now I get to say, yes, I want to go do this and teach here. And I, I want to create this thing. And um, no, I can't do these other things right now either. So I like having that kind of control. And I think that's the closest I will be able to get to like living the kind of like life dynamic that I want as being a mom and, and also now a business owner and still like very involved in the athlete and coach community. And you get the freedom to change your mind if you want to, you know, you get the freedom yes. to continue to evolve. It all evolves. Yeah. I was... does. We, are, we are too creative of creatures to stay like stagnant, stagnant in one, you know, like in one capacity of what we have in front of us it's, it's just the possibilities are really endless and I think like that's what I wish more strength conditioning coaches knew is like you don't have to be working in a uh in a team environment you don't necessarily have to be working in like a corporate environment you don't you have a lot of freedom and a huge skill set that can be used in a lot of different ways because again it's that top-down effect like if you understand how to coach high-level athletes 
you're, you're like, your foundation is huge. So, and you can uh, apply those principles to so many different people um, and so many different like tasks and, and passions and efforts. And that's a fun thing about this medium is, you know, somebody could listen to this five years from now and, you know, I, now I own my own facility, you know, or now you're doing something okay. and like, totally. and, and that's so fun. <laughs> it can evolve. Like when I was 22, I wanted to do that. I'm like, oh, okay, I want to go work in the NFL. Then I want to open my own place. Then I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then like that evolves. And like, there's still a lot of those things that are interesting to me. And if the right opportunity came, would I still go work in, in team sport? For sure. But I wouldn't give up this business, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I'd try to bring on somebody that could continue its mission and, and I'd be involved totally. to a certain level that, you know, that employer would allow me to be. Um, and then I always tell people, I go, listen, like when the timing is right, and if I have the right people around me, i.e. coaches that are mutually interested in business, mentoring, and coaching, I'll open my own place if I want to. But I have no desire to open some 20,000 square foot Mecca. That place might be a 2,500 square foot shed on my property, you know, if I can afford a larger property someday. Or it might be a place that kind of looks more like a barber shop or a rib joint, but damn, there's some good coaching going on in there. Like you don't have to have all this spaceship technology yeah. bullshit. Just do you, you know? No, it's it, uh, there's so much beauty in just like the fundamentals, and, and and you know, we don't need all the fancy stuff. We can do so much with with just good coaching, and and you just got to show up. Coaches got to show up. Athletes got to show up, and a lot can be accomplished in that in that sense alone. And guys, make sure that you're checking out, like as we're talking, even like go to go to Brianna's website, all the show notes and everything are going to have the direct links to all these things. But just go into briannabattles.com and I'll make sure to put up the the website for her course um, on postpartum and, and, and athletic postpartum and at, ugh, pregnancy and postpartum athleticism. <laughs> and uh, this is somebody that, again, you know, we should be learning from. That's what the art of coaching is. It's not just about communication and training. It's about business, lifestyle, development. It's about advancing and evolving the field. And this woman has done it better than most. And uh, I've taken up a lot of your time. Is there any kind of closing sentiments that, that we didn't get to that you want to you wanna lock on to? Or, I mean, you gave a, you gave a lot of gold. I mean, you packed a lot. I was, I'm impressed. Oh, well, gosh, I'm so appreciative of you having me on here. And um, obviously, I am... A- if you have an athlete that you're working with and you feel like maybe you need um, different different ears on uh, on how this athlete is progressing or any problems she is having, I'm totally open. If you're a coach and you um, think that you you want to learn more about coaching female athletes, especially through pregnancy and postpartum, I am always open to um, you know getting emails and chatting a bit and seeing how I can support you. So. Um, I really just try to be like, if I can't help, I want to connect you to somebody who can. And like, that's what I try to do, especially with that's a true you know, with connecting with people. And so um, I think that's how we grow this field. It's how, um, you know, young coaches can really get the exposure they're looking for. It's how, you know, female coaches can kind of get out there. And it's just, yeah, we all just need to keep paying it forward and keep showing up. So that's huge. No better note than that. And guys, I'll, I'll say it again, like invest, you know, like, you, you have to understand what people like Brianna put into this stuff and she's worth every bit, every penny. And this information is not stuff that you can find everywhere. It's hard to find trustworthy people. And it's just simple. Like you're going to get in, you're going to get out of your own professional development. What you put in free advice is usually free for a reason. And there's certainly no app for accountability. So, you know, do your due diligence, look into this stuff and, and make the most of the moment. Brianna, I want to thank you again for coming on means a lot. You picked up the phone for a complete stranger. We met on Instagram, um, but I'm here for anything you need. And I, I look forward to shaking your hand in person in the future. Yes. Thank you so much for your work.
All right. Take care.